Hey everyone, it's Robin Openshaw and welcome back to the Utah Patriot Update. And I think we have a real treat for you today. I invited two friends of mine who have, well, all of you carry about your regular lives. They've just laid it all out for you. They have been up at the um, Capitol for, gosh, six, seven weeks. You guys, how long is the session? It's the shortest in the country, right? Six, seven weeks. Oh, seven? It was seven. (laughs) Kristen, Kristen's like, it felt like a year. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I have, I have Kristen Chevrier and she runs Your Health Freedom. And she put on an expo several months ago that was excellent. And she flew in like Andy Wakefield and, um, who's that? Who's that guy who spoke and he couldn't leave California, but he did the research on um, ki- uh, the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated kids. That no, but Brian Hooker. No, yes, Brian, Brian yep. Hooker. Yeah, yeah. So she's just been working really hard behind the scenes for years so that Utah keeps its medical freedom. And then we have Delane England. And she's also been working up at the Capitol. These these are ladies who, like, I don't think anybody pays you guys as lobbyists, right? Probably nobody's ever paid you squat. Am I right? No. no. You're right. You're right. So everybody in Utah should go on our Telegram groups and just tell Kristen Chevrier and Daylene England, thank you for the work that they do tirelessly for no other reason than to try to retain some of Utah's freedoms. Now, we we make some jokes. I had like about 40 people from the Utah Freedom Fight over the first weekend that I was in Utah. And I made some jokes about how I, I probably bug them sometimes because I have the luxury of doing what I do and I don't have to be, I don't, I'm not up at the Capitol making deals with them. And I push these guys sometimes and I'm, and I'm a critic sometimes. And sometimes I'm like, no, we want more than that. But I actually get it that a lot of these legislators have to go do deals. And uh, I would say that uh, Daylene and Kristen are both far more moderate politically than I am, but they do, they do care about conservative values. Daylene, you're saying no. I, I don't think that I'm more moderate than you, but I think that I totally agree with you. I totally get it. I think we did, we do have different roles because if you want to work with legislators, you kind of have to figure out how to make it work. And so, yeah, I'm more willing to compromise only because we get more if we're making a compromise. If I hold in, I mean, I've learned from experience. If I hold in my, I hold my ground, I get nothing. I get nothing. I get nowhere. So, but I don't really think I'm more moderate politically. And I'm just over here laughing that anybody would think I was moderate. (laughs) Exactly. I know. I'm like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah, I think um, you guys are just up there you know, trying to, you know, and I could say, make a terrible bill better. And I don't even think you guys would disagree with me on that, on some of these, but you've been, you've been working your heads off. You're very much the unsung heroes in Utah. And so I just wanted to give you some airtime to talk about uh, where we won, where we lost, uh, how you see it, because both of you have really reminded me throughout this process because I will freely admit that I have been off building a business and being a single mom and whatever my stupid excuses are for being very, very politically checked out for 25 years until, until about March 1st of 2020. Um, I was super politically active before then I was a state delegate. I was a County delegate. And then I just, 
I don't know. I, I think I got a little bit disgusted with the whole process and I wasn't, I was kind of disenfranchised from the Republican party. Like I thought they weren't conservative enough. And, and, uh, while I was asleep for a quarter of a century, it appears to me that the Republican party went super liberal and the, and the democratic party went communist in my book, in my book. Right. But, um, Agreed. Kristen, I think we start with you. I'm going to ask you some questions and, Again, Daylene, just jump in if you want to. But the joke that we have is that I'm bad cop and they're they're good cop. And and I say that in front of especially in front of a group because I think the point that needs to be make is to be to be made is that you need a good cop and a bad cop. I mean, there's a reason why the law enforcement uh duos, you know, like two cops in a car or whatever, play good cop, bad cops, because it's because it works. And Sometimes the one cop will be the good cop and one cop will be the bad cop. And I certainly don't go out to beat up legislators, but I've had them call and yell at me and hang up on me and tell me that I'm, I am completely to blame. Actually, they've told me that you're to blame too, ladies. So, um, let's, let's jump into, we're going to talk about health freedom bills first, which is really Kristen's jam. And then we're going to go to Delane, Delane, who, um, I don't know why I keep saying it's, Daylene. I've been called worse, Robin. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's Delane. It is Delane. Walking down Delane. Walking down Delane. Um, it, I keep almost saying Daylene because I have a friend named Daylene, but um, um, another friend. And so, Kristen, talk about what some of the there were major health freedom bills that you were involved in drafting or being part of, sort of going out and finding legislators to sponsor them. And I apologize, by the way, it's bike week here in Florida. And so there's literally nonstop motorcycles going on. And so if you hear that noise, that's what it is. But tell us about the different um, health freedom bills and what their current status is. Okay. All right. So I want to start with HB 117. It was not a health freedom bill, but it it would have affected health freedom. So this one was... Um, it was in relation to a database that already exists. There's a vaccine database that is um, that has been around for decades, but it's voluntary. So when providers give vaccines, they um, they contact this database if they choose to, and they put the vaccines in there. So what this bill would have done was make it mandatory for every provider to report every vaccine. And uh, the, the more I thought about this bill, the more dangerous it sounded to me. So if you think about it, when there is a gun registry, people know where all the guns are. And you've heard people say, hey, publish the gun registry on in the New York Times or whatever. And this same thing happened in New York just a a year or two ago when there was the huge measles outbreak, only it was with vaccines. And what they wanted to do was publish all of the people who were unvaccinated. They wanted to publish their information. So right now the Utah database is voluntary, but as soon as you make it mandatory for every vaccine to be recorded in a single database, then they know who doesn't have the vaccines. And you can do the same thing. You can have people hounding you because you didn't get one of the vaccines or you didn't get all of the vaccines or whatever their their issue is. So it's a very dangerous idea. 
And um, we were able to kill that bill in committee. We were fortunate to have Mike Kennedy as the chair of the Health and Human Services Committee in the Senate. And he's a, and he's a medical doctor. He is a medical doctor and he's an attorney and he's, he's fabulous. And, um, he, he was very instrumental in helping that bill get killed. So we got rid of that one. Thank heaven. Um, the next one is SB 208 and SB means Senate bill. HB means house bill. So Senate bill 208 was intended to discourage employers from requiring vaccines for their employees as a condition of employment. And um, it became apparent as soon as we got into committee that we had a big uphill battle to fight. And we we made every concession we could make without totally just killing the bill. But we came to a point where we couldn't concede any further. And um, we took a lot of heat for that. And we did make it through the Senate committee. We made it through the the second readings on the Senate floor, which is just kind of an approval to continue the conversation. It wasn't actually a vote on the bill. Um, but we were sure that we weren't going to be able to pass the bill. So what we did was we circled it. And that means it's not going to be heard for now. But if you leave it circled, then it just isn't heard. And so that's what we've done with that one. Um, I could show you a flyer that was sent out to all of the senators that has a list of all of the businesses who were opposing it. And Libertas Institute opposed it. Anyway, so it is now going to an interim committee. And the interim committee will be a, a platform for us to be able to discuss the merits of the bill and to be able to come to an understanding with some of the people who were opposed to the idea of the bill and hopefully get a bill together to run the next time the legislature meets. Okay. Do you think the legislature is going to meet before a year from now? Um, I asked a couple of them and they didn't think so, but who knows? I don't yeah, know. With, with as crazy as things are, um, it, I I don't know. I don't know what to expect. It just seems like you can't just wait for another year with as fast as things are happening. But okay, so let's just review here. So so Senate Bill 208 was sponsored, I think, again, wasn't that by Dr. Senator Mike Kennedy? Kennedy. Yes. Um, yes. And you said it was to discourage employers from requiring the vaccine of their employees. Is that what it... Yes. That may be what it became, but it was supposed to be that they weren't allowed to. And then you just had to keep watering it down, right? Well, yes. And, and I think there's some misunderstanding on that because the, the language in the bill said that they weren't allowed to do it. But the only teeth that were there would have been a lawsuit. So it's, it's not like they, they couldn't do it. It was, they couldn't do it unless they wanted to get sued for injury. Yeah. So if you take the bill you as mean, a whole. I mean, they could, they could require an employee to get vaccinated as long as they were willing to get sued if that employee got injured by the vaccine. Yes. Yes. That's, that's really what the content of the bill was. And I've, I've had a discussion actually with Connor Boyack at the Libertas Institute where he's saying, I was trying to make it so that they couldn't, or we were trying to make it so that they couldn't have the choice. But really, if you look at where the teeth were in the bill, what what the um, 
the penalty was for not doing it or for doing it. The penalty for doing it was that you could get sued if there was an injury. So the, the businesses actually had the freedom to do it if they chose. Um, but if there was an injury, they would have been liable for all damages. And they were very much opposed to that. Um, I don't know why, because most of them would tell you that vaccines are safe and effective. So if they really believe that the vaccines are safe, I'm not sure what they thought was going to happen yeah. to them. Very, very good point. Yeah. It's like, if they're, if they're safe and effective, then why would you even care if someone's going to sue you? Because they're safe. So there shouldn't be a problem, right? right? Shouldn't now, be a problem. I, think, I believe it was Senate Bill 208 that um, Senator Todd Weiler kept blowing me up and was very angry with you because he said mm-hmm. you wouldn't um, you wouldn't concede some points, you wouldn't compromise. And I said, that's that's pretty laughable, mm-hmm. Senator Weiler. That's that makes me laugh because I'm usually the one who says, Kristen, don't don't uh, compromise too much or we're not going to have a bill left here. And um, but I don't know, maybe he just loves vaccines or I don't know what, but he couldn't have been nastier. And he must have told me half a dozen different times uh, you have Mrs. Chevrier to thank for that. And he just needed someone to blame so that he could have an excuse for why he wasn't going to vote for freedom as a Republican who supposedly right. believed limited government. And so I'm as bad cop here, you know, I'm not, you know, it's important that Delane and and Kristen be able to continue relationships with these legislators and live to fight another day. Like I 100% get that, but, um, you know, I don't even live in Utah anymore, but I'm, my heart's in Utah and I'm going to fight for Utah and it's a little bit easier to do when I'm 2,500 miles away in the, in the fashion that I do it. So, Okay, so 208, Senate Bill 208, we really had our hearts set on that bill. Um, you had a big hand in even coming up with this bill as a potential bill that you thought could get through. And you, what, what was surprising to you about it? Um, I'm not sure that I was really surprised. I know that there's a huge uh, pro-business community in Utah. And... I, I guess the biggest surprise to me was that the Department of Defense and and several lobbies for business interests that I had never even heard of showed up to oppose the bill. That was probably the biggest surprise, but I wasn't surprised that there was backlash. I was surprised at some of the people who showed up um, <clears throat> to oppose, but I kind of expected it to be a fight. I wasn't sure that it would get past the hearing, frankly, because there is so much animosity towards quote unquote anti-vaxxers. And, and I think that Senator Weiler was a prime example of that. Um, he, he clearly doesn't understand the issue. He doesn't know anything about polio. He doesn't seem to even know what our requirements are in Utah. And that was evidenced in his, discussion on the floor of the Senate, he made some outlandish comments that um, can only be excused by ignorance, um, by his ignorance. And so anyway, I, I was not hugely surprised. What I am looking forward to now is that we have a platform in the legislature where we can go and we can discuss this issue and we can educate people 
on the truth of the issue, on the fact that there are vaccine injuries, that they are very common and that they can be very severe. It's not just redness and swelling on your arm or feeling lousy for a couple of days. Some people end up with life-altering injuries or death. And even some of the, the other medical doctors who are in the legislature will tell you that death is a side effect of vaccines. Um, I've heard in, in Senate or uh, health com- committee hearings, I heard um, another doctor, his name is escaping me, uh, Stuart Barlow. Um, he mentioned that that death can be a side effect of vaccination and that it's fair for people to know that ahead of time. So anyway, um, we will be going to interim committee, interim committee meetings on this and we'll be able to discuss it. I am going to be looking for people who own businesses, who are employers, who are medical professionals, um, and who are teachers. I, I want people to be able to come in and testify in those hearings and help the legislature understand the, the nature of the problem. So I will be reaching out, Robin, I'll reach out to you for um, people to give input on that when we get to that point, if that's yeah, okay. Yeah, if you've ever shown up at one of my protests or you've sent one of our one-click letter campaigns, you know, we, we went big when the first bill was even proposed, when it first hit the media. KUTV ran a story on Representative Spendlove's bill and we had to go with what the media said, which was that uh, Representative Spendlove in Sandy, Utah, wanted to forbid the state from requiring a vaccine, but allow employers to to um, require the vaccine, which would, you know, that's, he probably meant well. He probably didn't realize that Utah code already pre- prevents Utahns from yeah. being required to get a um, genetic um, treatment. And that's, that's what this is. An mRNA vaccine, at least the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine are genetic treatments or therapies, whatever word is used. Now, right. of course, now we've got the um, Johnson and Johnson shot. What are your concerns about that, Kristen? Go sideways a little bit. Um, the, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine is one of the ones that involves human fetal tissue and so it's not an M, it's not an mRNA vaccine. It, oh wait, yeah. I may be, I may be confusing that with the AstraZeneca. No, you're right. The Johnson and Johnson okay. actually uses human aborted fetal tissue for the testing, uh, the manufacturing, and the development, all three stages of the vaccine. And but there are people right. who are saying, you know, oh, I'm going to get that one because at least it won't modify my. Uh, my DNA and my RNA. Right. So the problem with that is that, I mean, if it's grown in human fetal tissue, it actually could alter your DNA because you're injecting DNA fragments from another human being. So um, don't be convinced that it's not going to alter it. And then the other thing is, why would you want to support an industry that is using aborted fetal tissue? That's, that's to- actually creating demand. For abortion. Right. Right. It does that seem ethical? I don't I don't think it does. And so I would I don't think any of these vaccines are good options. And I, I know a lot of people are opting for that one because it's not mRNA, but I don't think any of them are safe and I don't think that they are ethical. So yeah. but Kristen, at least they're not using animals to test it. So that's the good news. 
right? <laughs> they don't want to use an, they don't want to use an animal to test, but they're fine about using an aborted fetus to test. Right. Well, not only aborted fetuses, but if you think about it, these are all emergency use authorized vaccines. What that means is that we are the post-marketing test subjects. So they don't think for a minute that you are not a guinea pig in this. They are tracking and they they are using you as a test subject. So um, I would not I would not take part in any kind of experiment that has those kinds of stakes. Yeah, and so while they they skip the animal trials because you know we're we're Operation Warp Speed here, so they skip the animal trials and with previous attempts like um, SARS and uh, what was the other one that they tried to make a vaccine for other coronaviruses. And it was a sale because of the animal trials and animal trials. Once it was cats and once it was ferrets and they did okay with the vaccine, but then when they were exposed to the wild virus, all of the animals died. All of the animals died. And so I, I I hate to say this, but I think in a year when a whole bunch of these legislators who like Todd Weiler, everything he texted me, he completely ignored everything I had to say about the bill and absolutely everything I had to say that was any that was detail about the actual legislation completely ignored. And he just kept going to his ego and repeating that everything is your fault. Um, he clearly didn't know anything whatsoever, like you said, about the actual issue. And he wasn't curious about it. And he wasn't curious about, yeah. you know, like my knowledge base after 25 years of studying it. I'm never disrespectful to these legislators. I may not go up to the Capitol and do the detail work of taking what I think is a terrible bill and making it a little bit better. But I sure I'm grateful that you guys do it. However, I don't think we are served at all by being disrespectful or by making assumptions about the intents of the people who sponsor these bills. I mean, these bills are written by lawyers, you guys. I mean, I I can't wait to get into Senate Bill 195. We'll try and wrap our brains about that big hairy thing, but that's not a medical freedom bill. We'll go to Delane about that. But um, I'm glad that you knew that it was going to be a fight because I was pretty sad and pretty shocked that 208 didn't happen. I thought that one would would get through. I thought it would be really important protection for medical freedom for Utahns. And and you even like in the very beginning, I think it was even in the bill, you left out any protection for medical workers, people in the medical. And and that's probably, I'm going to guess, you can confirm or deny, Kristen, because they're already required to get different medical interventions. So that would just be a no-go, right? Well, yes, it it was a no-go. And that was the first thing that we had to do was to change that. Because honestly, my reason for running that bill was to protect those people. Because I have several family members and friends who are in that category. And I it just it just makes me so angry that they're forced to get vaccines against their will and they end up getting sick from the vaccines. So that was my original intent was to protect them because they're the the ones who are under, well, other than the military, um, they are the ones that are under the gun, so to speak, the most. And um, I really wanted to protect them, but they are the first ones we had to remove in order for the bill to even move to the committee. And then it got even more watered down from there and it still didn't pass, but it's not done. And you're, you're going to, you're going to keep the fires burning, right? 
Right, right. Yes, yeah, is we're not done. But there are two good bills that did pass. Um, one of those is HB 233, and that is extending the K-12 exemptions from vaccinations through the higher ed, um, all, all of higher ed. Um, it doesn't technically apply to a private school, um, but I think there are situations where it might, and I'll discuss those at some time. Um, but not right now. So um, HB 233, not only did it extend it through higher ed, but it also made it so that if there is an option to attend in person, that children who and students who are not vaccinated but exempted can also attend in person, which is a big deal. Because up until now, anytime there was an outbreak, which is two or more cases in the state of Utah, you could tell the kids that didn't have that vaccine that they had to stay at home and this would change that. So that's fantastic. Um, H and that one passed in both houses and it did really well, actually. Um, HB 308 is another one that is pretty good. Um, it makes it so the government can't mandate the COVID vaccine. And that means for employees or for people who are coming into their facilities and it, it does have a sunset clause, which I don't love. It's a four-year sunset clause, which means that after four years, it no longer applies. But it is specific to COVID. So hopefully in four years, we won't have to worry about COVID anyway. Um, well, then so this, the, the bill itself doesn't help us with vaccines in general. I mean, I'm no. a bit of a precedent, but... Yeah, it doesn't really. I mean, it's it's good that it passed. I'm glad that it passed because it does kind of lay the groundwork for us to do more um, in um, legislative sessions that are coming up. Yeah. So um, just really quickly, I would like to go over how you read a bill because I think this has been a big stumbling block for people who are trying to look at what the legislature is doing and then misinterpreting so when you read a bill, anything that's in plain text, it's not underlined and it's not crossed out. Anything that's in plain text is existing code. So horrifying, yes, but new, no. So you need to make sure that when you're telling people what a bill does or you're trying to understand it, that you realize that there is a lot of unconstitutional, really, really bad stuff that is already in our state code. So when you're reading it, look at what the underlined sections do to the existing code and also look at what the strikethrough sections do to the existing code. And then you also need to know that when there are links and they say, as, as described in such and such code, you need to follow those links because that will tell you a lot about what the bill does. A lot of times there's, there are whole sections of code that are applying to this bill that they don't put in the bill. They just link to them in another section of code. So there are a lot of moving parts, but the the most important thing is that you need to know that it's the underlying text that is new. So if people are reading to you out of text that's not underlined, it's not new. And if you're going to freak out about it, it should have happened 10 or 20 years ago, <laughs> but not right now. <laughs> Yeah, and, so. and everybody gets um, forgiveness 
for if you're new to the process and that very, very basic point, which um, Kristen made very politely because I'm sure that she just about lost her mind with all of the people who thought that old code was new code. Um, we're just glad that you guys are here and that more and more people are waking up. And we really hope that everyone in Utah, actually everyone who listens to my show nationally too, um, holds Thursday meetings because the Thursday meetings, even if you hold yours on Wednesday or Friday, we don't care what day of the week you hold them, but I think they're going to be really, really key. I mean, um, Todd Weiler in the Senate was absolutely arrogant with me in saying, you won't get rid of me. Lots of people have said they'll get rid of me and they don't. And this, like, you know, we, we've alluded to, and we're not trying to pick on Senator Weiler. He's definitely one of the worst, I think, one of the worst of our legislators, just in terms of, you know, been there a long time, super arrogant, not super curious about learning what he needs to know to be voting on bills as high stakes as, as, you know, mandated vaccine bills. I mean, this affects 3.2 million people. And, you know, he didn't call me an anti-vaxxer. I had people when I said, hey, I'm in a conversation with Todd Weather right now. Um, multiple people said, oh, he's just going to call you an anti-vaxxer and dismiss you. And one of the first things I told him is I'm, I was vaccine injured in, in my 20s in grad school. I was required to get the flu vaccine and I was sick an entire winter. And that's the first and only time that's ever happened to me in my whole life. But I was literally sick 10 times. I'd get well and get sick again. And I don't, I don't even get sick every other year, you know, and now in my fifties, but in grad school, in my twenties, I got extremely ill. And then at the end of it all, I got an autoimmune disease, which people don't realize is actually extremely common. And the vaccine industry gets away with it because the autoimmune disease happens later. It's this progression of invisible events going on in your body that eventually you get diagnosed with the autoimmune disease and you just think, oh, it's this unlucky thing that happened to me. But, you know, if you open any vaccine insert and read it, of course, not the COVID vaccines because they don't have any data, but any other vaccine insert, there's a list as long as your arm of autoimmune diseases and cancers that they know that that specific vaccine is linked to. So I think... That we're going to watch and in the next year, and I'm not predicting this because I don't want to hex anybody, but I think we're going to see a whole bunch of these legislators get the vaccine and they were heavily involved in the debate. And a year from now when they come back and they're going to be trying to force the next vaccine for the next virus or whatever on adults now, because that's pretty obvious that the whole agenda here is to get a whole lot of adults on a you know, mandated vaccine schedule and just have to look at Israel and have to look at New York state to see that that's on its way. But I I think that a lot of them will connect the dots. If one year from now there's their wife has Guillain-Barre or, you know, they have been diagnosed with two autoimmune diseases and they're really miserable. Whereas right now in the beginning of 2021, they're feeling fine. So I think we're waking people up. Unfortunately, you know, it's going to have to be a long play and And I think that, you know, and I'm not hexing them. I don't hope that that happens to them, but I do think that is going to happen because I've been studying these issues um, since my oldest son was uh, severely injured at uh, 27 years ago. And so I had told Todd Weather that, and I think because I had told him my son almost died of the MMR vaccine and then was in and out of hospitals for a year and a half, I don't think, you know, I don't think it's like socially acceptable whatsoever to start calling me an anti-vaxxer. You know, in fact, I almost wish he would. So I could say, nope, I'm like all the other anti-vaxxers. I'm a former vaxxer, you know. Right. So 
Kristen, you've said, all right, it's got, you got to look at the underlying stuff. That's the part that's new. What else do you wish that people knew? Because we, we do want people far more involved in the legislative process. And there was, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to coach you with what it is, but I saw you say it over and over and over again. But now's, now's the time to tell people, Hey, if you're new to the legislative process, do get involved, but what? Now I'm trying to remember what it was I said. You but, said it like but you said it like 20 times. I've seen you say it in different groups. You're always very polite, but it's like it's basically about how you approach the legislators. If you don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so so basically, I think it's don't hit somebody over the head if um if you want them to help you because we're all human beings and we all react to the way we're treated. So if you want people to want to help you, not that I think that they should be junior high kids or whatever, but I think if if you want people to help you, you need to treat them with respect and um, dignity at, at least. And I think it's important to build relationships. I think you need to understand the issues. Don't go talking about things that you don't know about. If you don't understand the bill, ask your legislator some questions about it or ask somebody else who you think might know some questions about it. Be careful who you trust because some people will spout off about things that they don't know anything about. And so um, you need to be careful who you go to for information. Um, you need to understand the process. You need to educate your neighbors. And then the, the one last thing that I haven't said very much is that we need to gather those who agree with us and we need to be willing to walk away. If you are a healthcare professional, you need to be willing to walk away and you need to be willing to take the risk. It's scary, but I think that we can create a better paradigm. We can create um, hospitals. We can create schools. We can do whatever we need to do in order to ensure that we have employment for people who are interested in health freedom. So let's be brave and let's do the scary thing in order to create a better situation for our children and our grandchildren. We need to be brave. We do need to be brave and we're going to be doing a lot more talking. And, you know, I can tell you a few mutual friends we have, Kristen, that we're talking about creating communities using some legal structures that allow us to take in these doctors who are losing their licenses for standing up for the families of uh, non-vaccinating children, you know, and there, there are some, especially in this climate, there are fantastic pediatricians who are losing their licenses right now because they have a practice that has 10,000 unvaccinated kids. And they're, they're now a target. They're a target for being brave. They're a target for being, you know, pro medical freedom. And we are among other things, really looking into how we can do an Ayn Rand. If you ever read Atlas Shrugged, where she didn't just, you know, go, bang her head on their system, which is broken and corrupt and, and uh, impenetrable, but they actually created their own kind of their own society, their own thing. They created their own thing. And we're, we're working on some things like that. And uh, that's a whole other side subject, but we'll, we'll bring you into those conversations, Kristen. It's really exciting. Um, I'll ask you again at the end, because when people finish listening to the show, that's when they want to go um, follow you. Are you pretty much Utah centric? Tell them um, your health freedom, where they find you. And do you, do you write a blog or what's the best way to keep up on what you're doing? Well, I try to write a blog, but I'm pretty busy with, with just boots on the ground. So I, I do sometimes, but it's our website is yourhealthfreedom.org. 
And we are on YouTube, Instagram, Telegram, Signal, Facebook, MeWe, and Heroes. Um, and so the website is the best way to stay connected, though, yourhealthfreedom.org. And um, sign up with the Get Involved um, button. And then I can keep you updated on calls to action if you want to do that. And also, on um, I'm going to need all of these people to help work on uh, like the business owners and, and the medical professionals and all of those people to help me with SB 208. So if you're in that email list, then I can let you know what, when I need you and what I need. Great. Well, thank you for everything you've done the last two, two months. I know that you're just catching up on sleep. I know that there's just incredible um, personal sacrifices that you make and made. And so I just, there's not, there's not a one in a million out there that will do the kinds of things that you two are willing to do. And I'm just really grateful. I mean, I've said this before, but if there were a hundred times more, uh, Delaine England's and Kristen Chevrier's, we wouldn't be in this situation that we're in. We truly wouldn't. So stay on with us if you can, Kristen, because we'll have you say again, where to find you, but let's, let's go to Delaine. Thanks for being so patient. Delaine, tell us about, I want, I want to talk about SB 195, but Great. Talk about, talk about big wins. That'll be fun. Okay. I'd love to start with some big wins because I want people to know that when they have taken action, it actually paid off. It did make a difference. You sending emails, making phone calls, sending texts, it really did make a difference. And we really have a lot of wins. We just had some really horrible, painful, ugly losses to go with it, which is the case. So SB 227 is called generic and genetic information privacy. And I love this bill. It's a great bill because it's basically taking our genetics and get put it, make putting it into place some privacy bills. Cause I've been very concerned about this. Like if you send in your DNA to 23andMe, you're sending this company your DNA. And then there were no laws in place to protect you um, and your privacy and what they do with that. I mean, just think about where that can go to as far as crimes or anything. I mean, my imagination just goes wild with that. And so this bill made a really great effort to tie that in, to to ranch it down so that your DNA is held private. And if you want it back upon your request, they have to give it back to you. And so um, that's a great bill and it passed and I'm really grateful for it. So that was an awesome bill. And then um, HB 38 is school technology. And this seems like a no-brainer. You think when you send your children to a public institution that your children are protected from being exposed to pornography while they're there. But what is true is the servers, the two servers that, that we use in Utah and are used throughout the country, um, one of them is Gale, G-A-L-E, and the other one's, I always want to say UNESCO, and it's not. It's, it's something like that. It's UN something. It's an acronym, but these servers are not filtered and they, our children are going to school. We have countless children telling us that they, at, while they're at school on a school device that they've been exposed to pornography. And so mm-hmm. this basically all this bill does is it just requires those servers to put filters on them to keep our children from being exposed to pornography. That doesn't seem like that should be too much to ask. But we finally, it, it was a lot, there was a lot of opposition. And I just want you to know who it's from. It's the Library Association, because they are calling that censoring. And 
we're like, we've never allowed our children to be exposed to hard pornography. So, or even soft porn for that matter. So that bill did pass. And then we have to be very vigilant. Parents, you need to teach your children how to handle that situation and to let you know, because what we need now is we need to be sure that they're enforcing the law, that they are actually doing it just because it is a law doesn't mean they're going to obey it. So um, that's where we as citizens and parents need to be really on top of things. Um, the another bill is HB 136, and it's initiative and referendums. So regardless of where you are on initiative, initiatives and referendums, I'm personally not the biggest fan of initiatives, or at least I haven't been, because I don't really want the democracy, the mob rule to drop, to, to develop our laws. I like the republic that we have where our legislators pass laws and we hold them accountable for doing that. And, um, and initiatives kind of go around that, but we've found that there has been sometimes the need to do that. But what this bill does is it makes it so that paid signature gatherers, if they're paid, they're like a lobbyist. They're like a paid lobbyist. And so it puts some parameters on them. And and it's only designed not to punish them in any way or to discourage them. It's really designed to have some accountability and to keep fraud. Because what was happening, what we've seen in the last initiatives that have been passed or have been where they've been gathering signatures, they go out with maybe five or six different initiatives and they get paid an amount for each signature they gather. And so like $15 per signature. And so they go and they will have all seven and they will lead the people to believe that when they're signing one, they'll say, oh, this makes it so that you can get, we can have CBD oil and we can use um, medical marijuana, which a lot of people supported. And so they would sign one in initiative and they, and then they say, oh, we need to sign here and we need you to sign here. So they're signing, signing seven, but they only thought they only knew about one issue. And so in order to kind of, I thought that uh, Representative Tusher did an excellent job in this bill in just saying they have to be paid per hour. And that way there's not an incentive to commit fraud. And they also have to wear a button that says their name. And so you know what you, you can, like, you know that they're gathering signatures and you know who they are because we went and talked to people that had been defrauded in this manner a couple of years ago and they they had no idea who came to their house they had no idea they didn't have a copy of anything so the person that gathers signature also has to give a piece of paper to the signer that says this is what this initiative is about that way because in in the way that the law is now until this bill gets signed by the governor you if you want to do an initiative you have to print the entire initiative or the entire bill which could be 225 pages and on every single initiative packet, which costs a fortune. So like on our tax referendum, we had to do that, which I was very supportive of. We, it costs twenty five, thirty thousand $30,000 just to print the initiative. And then all the work was done by volunteers. Okay. So and I don't, this makes I don't it, think so you that know, most, I think a lot of people who listen to my show won't know what initiatives and referendums are. An example of oh. a referendum was when Provo, okay. Pro, yeah. I mean, do you have a quick example? Because yes, I do. Okay, and kill the mask mandate from the city, and then they got deep into the process, and there were people who spent hundreds of hours of their time, only to have, 
you know, Governor Herbert just say, I'm doing a statewide mask mandate. He basically rescued all of these cities that were being, that whose citizens were really upset. And he just way up in his, you know, centralized power just did it as a state. And I've seen this all over the country that the state and the cities and the counties are just playing hot potato with these political issues. Like, like Governor Abbott right now, he's acting like he's some kind of hero for canceling the mask mandate. It's like too little, too late, dude. You, you've, you've let, and these, and all the restrictions on businesses. I'm like, you just, you just realized a year in that people should have the right to breathe and, and whatever. So initiatives, just really quick initiatives are, and referendums are to make laws and to retract laws, but driven by the right. citizens, right? Okay. Right. So an initiative makes a law, passes it without being able to change it. Once you do an initiative, if you go, oh, yeah, there's some problems to this, you can't go in and change it. It has to be that way. We're a bill. We make amendments and change it all the way through the process. And a referendum just repeals either a law or an initiative that has been passed. So and, I and actually a lot of people really are listening to you and they're like, this is where we get to repeal. This is where we get to uh, we, we get to get rid of uh, Senator Romney. It's not right. What happened with that? Bill? No, no, it's not with people. We don't have a bill. We don't have any way in the state of Utah to repeal a person. We don't have a way to recall a governor or a senator or anybody, even a mayor. We don't have that in Utah. And I, I know that this will be super controversial to a lot of people, but I actually think it's a really good idea not to. Because if you had an amazing person, amazing governor, all they have to do is have cancel culture or just, you know, a group of rabid people come after them and take them down. And then it makes it so that no one has the courage to stand up and do the right thing because they're going to have a group of people that go get signatures and come after them. And so I think we need to, the real, the real solution here is to get educated before you vote for somebody and put them in right. office. Well, that's, and no, that's great. You're but stuck we're, with them. That, that's great. But now we are stuck for another three and a half, four years with uh, Utah's first completely socialist governor who ran under a yes. platform and he lied. He lied and said he, he was a conservative Republican. He said he was for limited government. There were billboards that said, and I'm going to go to you, Kristen, because I see you have something to say. He said he wanted less regulation for the schools. And then the mm -hmm. man wants us to force our children to live in bubbles with masks on. How? Less regulation in schools, he brought socialism to Utah. And I'm going to say it over and over and over again until it's his legacy. If it's the last true. It is his legacy. And he and we're all paying for that. But here's what's also true. He is the governor. He only has so much power. And the legislature needs to take their power back because they're giving way too much of their power to a governor. And there are separation of powers. There's checks and balances in our legislature and our courts need to do their job. Well, that's the perfect segue to uh, exactly yeah. the 195 because what I see <laughs> is they're all so scared that Cox would veto it that we had to pass a crappy bill. But I right. think you had something you wanted to say, Kristen. I, yes, but let's let Kristen oh. talk. I was just going to say on what you were talking about, about the, the, um, the recall process. If we had a recall process, then Natalie, um, Klein, right. our, our state school board member would have been recalled because of the things that she said that were actually correct, but the cancel culture didn't like. Mm -hmm. So it's a two edged sword. 
That's yeah, all I, I was going to yeah. say. I think I saw you saying, Kristen, because people are just rabid about recalling Mitt Romney, who's my first cousin. And my my family does not disagree with any of you who want him recalled. We're very, we feel very betrayed. And we worked hard on his presidential campaign and thought that he would be a good president. And and maybe he even would have been a, a much better president than Obama. But then something happened. Somebody got to him. I don't know what happened to the guy. And now he's probably um, Utah's, it, it's it, a lot of Utahns feel he's treasonous. I mean, they feel very, very strongly about it. But you, I think it was you, Kristen, maybe it was someone else who said, uh, it's not, it's a lot, we're a lot less likely to get Romney recalled than other people who we actually wouldn't want recalled. So I think you're both saying it should be hard to recall a a legislator yeah. or a governor or whatever, right? Exactly. I think so. Yes. Very hard. Unfortunately, because I mean, we obviously agree on a couple of the, the ones that you've mentioned, but, but we don't want it to be too easy to recall the ones who are on our side. Right. Yeah, and right. we, it, we really need to do our work. We need to do our due diligence because we, if we, we realize when we vote for somebody, they're, we're stuck with them for at least, you know, sometimes two, four, six years. So, um, yeah, and we need to make their lives miserable. We really do so that they, we need to rein them in as much as is humanly possible. Okay, so let's talk about SB 195. I think that people got really confused reading it. If somebody took the time to read it, I actually read this 57-page bill, but it was it was basically amending, what, 1,500 pages of code? Yes, that is correct. So SB 195, emergency powers. If you read the current law, you were just ready to just, I mean, freak out. Like it was where people were ready for a revolution. Because the way that the law is currently, it just is disgusting. It's so anti-liberty. It basically gives our health department carte blanche power to do anything they want. And our Utah Constitution says the health department can do anything they deem necessary in an emergency in order to, you know, take care of it. And where did that course, come from? Did that come well, out of 9-11 or where did that? No. No, this goes way back. This is, this is the pioneers because they, they, to them, an emergency, they didn't put a definition in, but to them, an emergency was like two or three days. If you had a tornado or hurricane, you had an earthquake that they might need to insert the health department to keep everybody healthy and safe for a couple of days, maybe two weeks. There was no idea that anybody would usurp this kind of a power over these citizens for a year. Nobody ever even thought that that was possible. And so then our laws have just been, you know, like Kristen said, they're just over time, they've just gotten worse and worse and they've just opened up this and our laws are just horrible. But, but, but because we've never had the health department or even the executive branch usurp this kind of power, nobody realized how horrible our law is. So when you read 195, you read the law, it, it's just horrible. And so a lot of why people freaked out about 195 is because they read the, the bill incorrectly and didn't realize the underlying part actually takes unlimited, complete, unlimited, unconstitutional tyranny and it that we're living under right now. And it reigns it in somewhat. It isn't really great, but it is so much better than what we're living under now that we have to say, OK, this is inching our way back to where, what should be the constitutional intent, that the government is designed to protect our liberties, not to take them, not to okay, control so us. 
SB195, you guys, we were told for months and months and months. I know Delane was. I know Kristen was. I know I was. Um, they were telling us, oh, we've got this bill. We've been working on it for months. And they kind of teased it like it was going to rain in the health department. And it was going to give the power back to the people. Now, my issue with SB195, my big overarching issue is that it seems to me like it just put a whole bunch of uh, like a whole bunch of checks and balances in. And, and I don't have any confidence in that because I, like you said, you know, the legislature is just rubber stamping the, the governor is just rubber stamping the legislature, et cetera. And they sort of, they're, they're creating laws that, you know, they're so worried about whether the governor is going to um, veto them. And that's fine. I get it. If he vetoes it, you're done. But I think he probably is going to be pretty careful about what he vetoes, you know, and he knows that there's going to be backlash from the people. So do you feel like I do that SB 195 sort of just codified into more law that this whole idea of a long-term emergency is a legitimate thing? That's what I felt about it. Well, it, it actually did make the, it does make the emergency a lot shorter. So it literally puts into code an emergency can't go on forever, that it can't go on more, an emergency declared by the health department can't go on for more than 30 days without the executive branch or the legislative branch coming together. And if they, if the health department wants to extend it, the, the, the legislature can end it. They can terminate it and they can also decide that they can extend it themselves, but they can now have the power. And, and that is really important because um, we need our legislature and our, our executive to, to rein in and to, to know that they have the power to give back the power to the lawmaking body. So um, I think that's a huge last summer. Last summer they did not extend the legislate the legislature chose to not extend the emergency and they did it twice and the governor just said i don't care and moved on anyway so this gives them more power to really stop it is that what it I'm does hearing? it gives up exactly it gives them more power to stop it it also gives the county a lot more power and so the county can stop it but they can also re-up it they can continue it but then the county does it and i even though I don't necessarily trust all the counties, that is a huge improvement because the rural counties, I have so much confidence in that they will do it. And then they can help put pressure. And then as citizens, we can hold our county elected officials much more accountable than we can like the governor. We, it's really hard to hold the governor, the governor accountable, but you can hold well, especially, your county. Especially because our governor, this is the big difference I see between Herbert and and um, Cox is Herbert Cox. was super checked out. And I think the way he governed was to just like ask the opinion of whoever was on his cabinet. Like, I don't think he did any research of his own. Whereas here in Florida, and this is the reason why I moved here, literally the reason is our governor does his own research and he brings in other people and he woke, he woke himself up and he did it quickly. And the people of Florida are enjoying the best, you know, the, the uh, an economy that's on their, on a rise when everybody else is running from their states to his state for, for just basic freedoms. But the difference that I think is scary between um, uh, Herbert and Cox is that Cox has completely insulated himself from the people. He is, 
he is accessible to the people in absolutely no way. It's not in like no you can way. call him up anyway, but you, you, no. there's not even a place to leave him. And e- you can't email him. You can't leave him a message. You concerned about well, that too? And he's, he, you know, I'm sorry, but Governor Cox, I call him King Cox. He is really bought and paid for by the big establishment, the big businesses. So he, he really doesn't feel any need whatsoever to answer to the people. And he, he has no intention of doing it. And, and the most that we can do really is, is, um, yeah, we have, we do have to push back a lot. He needs to be more uncomfortable from the push of the people than he does from having the, the money that kind of owns him. So, well, and it's, um, there's nowhere to push back on him because, you know, Herbert did Facebook lives and there were hundreds of us in, in comments. Um, absolutely furious and telling him off. I'm sure he literally never once looked at it. If he did, he would have told his staff to change up or he would have stopped doing Facebook lives. Like, I don't know why his staff, uh, kept letting him hang himself like that, but Cox doesn't do it. I don't think he's done a Facebook live. No, he doesn't. And, and I mean, we, we just have to really work at work. We have basically two years. So, I mean, we have three more years with them, but. We, well, four more years with them, but I mean, we really need to start finding a replacement and we need to educate people because if we don't educate people, we will be stuck with him for a lot longer. And that really the best thing we can do is educate people, make him so unpopular and people to know who he really is and what he's about so that we don't end up reelecting him. And that's where the Thursday night groups come in. Again, you guys are replacing sort of a grassroots movement to replace the old um, caucus system, which has sort of fallen by the wayside. So what about the um, orders of restriction, is it? How do you feel about that? What happened with that with SB 195? Well, of course, we hate those ever so much. I mean, they're just horrifying. They're horrible. Well, tell but people what the, it is. Oh, the, it's, oh, it's like complete and total tyranny, saying that the government can restrain you which is, or tell you what you can wear, which is like a mask. So the language in it is quite terrifying. And it just basically says they can control you, they can control your property, and they can literally control what, you know, make you stay at home. They can tell you, give you stay at home orders so you are forced to not leave your property. The thing that we won there, which is what they've been doing. So it's not any, it's not really any different. Than and what it, a lot doing. of that is also already in the code. Yes. Like I was horrified when I found that stuff in code in 2019. I had no idea that it was in our code. It's terrible. Well, and they took, and they took full advantage of it. And I want to go sideways for a quick second because before the legislative session, I think it was before it even kicked off, they had a Senate hearing for the health and human services uh, committee, which, um, uh, what's that guy's name in Lehigh? Jake Anderegg, Senator Jake Anderegg is the head of. And my opinions about him in this whole legislative session are very mixed. Um, mostly, I find him to be um, really uh, dominated by ego and emotion and not very nice to people. But I will say this for him, at least he answers, um, unlike the, the worst of the bad, like Senator Kurt Bramble and Todd Weiler, they've got to go. But um, we, so, and 40 of us showed up to the Senate hearing to express our opinion about promoting Rich Saunders, who had been the interim health department director in the state of Utah. And we were all so horrified. And I think the first four of us who spoke have terminal degrees in the health field. Uh, I'm one of them. And 
the first four of us, there was a virologist, there was a physicist, there were, and we all spoke on different things, but most of us touched on this man is not at all qualified to do this job. He doesn't have an advanced degree in anything. And he doesn't come out of the medical field and doesn't come out of the public health field. And you know what, honestly, I probably wouldn't like whoever they chose who was from the medical field or the public health field. Cause I think Angela Dunn, um, who's <laughs> head of the CDC. And I think she makes over $300,000 a year. She's in her thirties and she works for the government and your taxes pay for her. She's been a lot of what is wrong with our public policy through this whole, this whole scam the whole past year. Yeah. So um, anyway, it, back to uh, that I just wanted to touch on this Senate hearing. I love Mike Kennedy. I love that he sponsored some of our bills, Kristen, but 40 of us showed up and all of us opposed promoting Rich Saunders, who's completely without credentials and broke a bunch of laws in the last year. We, we opposed promoting him to the permanent health director and all 40 of us spoke against him. You were there. I saw you filming it. I thought you weren't wearing a mask, Kristen, but then Gopi told me later that you had a clear mask yeah. later and I was laughing, but um, I was like, how is she getting away with that? And then Spencer, yeah. so all 40 of us opposed him. And then Rich Saunders himself said two completely stupid things, which showed off how little he knows about viruses and public health in general. And then Cox comes in with his 15 Utah Highway Patrol, you know, his people guarding him and his his uh, vice, his lieutenant governor, uh, Deirdre Henderson. And the two of them spoke on behalf of him after 40 of us spoke against. And then the whole Health and Human Services, including Mike Kennedy, unanimously promoted Rich Saunders. What is that about? Do either of you have something to say about that? I was well, devastated, but that was cooked. That was deal is obviously cooked before we got there. They did the same thing with um, with Mr. Mon, who's over the, the Labor Commission. Not only did they put them in, but they did a resolution to you know, like thank them. They did this big honor. So that deal was cooked. I don't know why everyone voted for him, but I, a lot of it is just that they're there and you're not going to make a difference. And what, what you what you've noticed and what you've stated. What we know about life and especially politics is so much about relationships. So yeah. sometimes you kind of have to go, we've got to have a relationship here. And I can only, I'm making it up. I don't know why Senator Kennedy would have voted for him, but a lot of it is, and you know, he maybe just didn't really know. He's just barely back in the, you know, in the Senate. And, but you know, relationships matter. And the reason that they did, they chose him. And put him in his relationships, and that's okay. And I should say this because I have had so many, I've had so many stupid conversations with people, and I call them stupid conversations not because a person is stupid, but just it's crazy right. making to me that we don't realize that just because you met somebody at a cocktail party doesn't mean that they're a good person, doesn't mean that what they did in the Senate was honest. I mean, I've had so many conversations with people where they say, "Oh no, I met him; he's great." Well, just because you met him doesn't mean he's great. Everyone presents themselves well, right? And you know what? They might be great people. It, sure. It's entirely possible they are a great person, but we're not voting for mother of the year. We're not voting for the nicest no. person or the nicest business owner. We're voting for someone who is willing to uphold their sacred oath to uphold our constitution. They're not supposed to be doing what their family wants or what 
their neighbors want. They're supposed to uphold the Constitution. So we want someone who knows what that is, that knows what the Constitution is and knows what their role as an elected official is, which is not to take care of us, not to make us feel good, but to protect our liberties. And so that's what we're looking for. And that's what we just have to educate each other and and help people to understand when they vote. Kristen? So I think another thing that we need to look at is that sometimes we have to choose which hill we're going to die on. And um, sometimes it's just not the right hill. And if you want to be effective in the legislature, you can't die on every hill. And and so I think that probably had something to do with it. But I was hugely disappointed by the outcome because I listened to all of that testimony and I thought it was pretty compelling. And then to watch it just be rubber stamped was very, very disappointing. Yeah, not only they rubber stamped it, um, they barely listened to us. Uh, they sort of just had to give all of us 60 seconds. They cut our mic after that. And then, of course, Cox and Henderson could talk as long as they wanted to. And they didn't say anything right. substantive besides Rich is our buddy. He's great. Right. Um, and, right. and I, I could, you know, like we listen to Rich Saunders myself. I'm like, I bet if I met him at a cocktail party, I'd like him too. Just like you said, sure. Delane. But yep. the man ran roughshod over jobs and businesses and personal rights and just did what he was told, which I assume is why you take someone who is completely without credentials and you promote him to be over. I mean, this guy is over all the doctors and and nurses and dentists of the entire state of Utah, and he doesn't even have an advanced degree. I'm sorry. As someone who got two advanced degrees, I don't think that I'm qualified. And it's not just about uh, it's not just about advanced degrees. It's also like your length of experience, and it's also do you stand for the people? I mean, I was on a planning commission once for three years. I was in my 20s, but I had taught American heritage at BYU. And I grew up in Washington, D.C. And my dad was a defense intelligence officer in the Pentagon. I just love our country and I love our constitution and I've read our constitution. And I was, yes. a, I was a, you know, American, American history scholar and Sterling scholar in high school. And I guess I just came out of it with an understanding of what the constitution actually is. And even as a little Linden city planning commissioner for three years, I was so unpopular. And I was just this mom. I was having babies. I was like nursing a baby during, during, uh, planning commission meetings. But for three years, I was so unpopular because all of the other planning commissioners would vote yes or no on a development project based on whether they like the development project and whether it met their personal goals of what they thought that, that Lyndon needed. And I kept making the same argument and they just got sick of me. I was like, you guys, we have to vote for what the code allows. These people are allowed to use their property according to what the code allows. We aren't here to make laws. We're here to listen to, you know, different development um, ideas and look at the different plans and see if it meets the code. That's what our job is. And um, I often was the only dissenting vote on so many different things. So I kind of died on all the hills. And that's probably why my uh, my political career ended there. And actually wasn't really political career because I was appointed by the mayor. I never ran for it. He just asked me to, he just asked me to be on the planning commission because I had been a volunteer and had run the neighborhood watch for the town of Linden. And he was like, Hey, you'd be great on the planning commission. But, but the point is like, I think people don't realize how easy it is to sell out. It doesn't have to be that, you know, it's some shady deal with a guy in a trench coat that walks up and says, I'll give you 10,000 bucks if you vote for this bill. It could be just literally as simple as 
All right. I just see that uh, Senator Kennedy voted for him. And I see that Senator Andrag voted for him and whoever that one lady was in the committee. There weren't very many, very many of them that carried that whole thing that promoted Rich Saunders permanently to head of the health department. And I was just like, you know, you're not going to vote against it when you saw that three people just voted for it. It's like you said, they just they're they're just they're going along to get along and they want to live to fight another day so that they can get their deal done. Mm-hmm. So everybody just needs to realize how this actually happens. And and this attorney that I was talking about earlier, this who's helping us set up these different um structures so that we can sort of live in our own economy that we create ourselves. He actually um he said that if you don't know who to vote for, vote against the incumbent. Because <laughs> and he was talking about judges. But he said, if you didn't do your homework, just vote against the incumbent because the longer they're in there, the more beholden they are to more people. What do you think about that? I really agree because it, again, it's so much about relationships and it's good to, even if they win, which they probably will, it's good for them to know they have some opposition and some pushback. So yeah, if you don't know, you probably shouldn't vote, but if you're going to vote for somebody, um, definitely vote for somebody. Yeah, I, it's a hard one. It's a hard one because I, I hate people to vote uneducated. I just feel like people need to get educated, but no. they don't always. Just call me and I'll tell you who to vote for. They don't <laughs> always. Kidding. And not to keep obsessing about 195, but is there anything else that you felt was important to talk yeah. about? Yes, I think it's really important because a big part of the bill is that, right, without the bill, if you go, if you get fined, it is a $10,000 fine for a business, an association or a person per day. And the bill makes it so that it's $5,000 for a business or association and only $150 per person. So even though that's and still it's not outrageous per day. and egregious and it's per week. Thank you, Kristen. Yes. Yeah. And that, you know, that in itself makes it like, okay, well, at least we can, it gives people the ability to push back because $10,000 a day, people can't afford to even push back. But if you're like, okay, we can get together. We can do $5,000. If we do this together, $5,000 a week is a lot different than 10,000 a day. And then as an individual who doesn't wear a mask, for me, $10,000 a day is out of my budget, but $150 a week. You know what? I, yeah, I'm willing. You're you're talking about um, all kinds of different things that the state can and and I think that the three of us hate the whole thing, right? We hate the whole idea we that hate the, the whole thing. But yeah. you're just saying you're not saying it's okay that they can find no. an individual $150 a day, but they they not just brought all. the fines way down to make us feel yeah. better about our um, open well, air prison. It's yes, exactly. It's like well, now we can actually afford to fight back in our prison. Because it is more doable and, and it, I mean, we just have to keep inching away at it. It is such a step in the right direction, which is how legislation goes. Rarely can I remember a time when there was a bill we worked on that we got everything we wanted. It's all about compromise, but we get closer and every year and then the next year you come back and you inch away at this and you bring up a new point. And then in two years we have new house members and then we just keep working on it. And we, because we keep educating people, we keep letting people know these are your rights. You know, why do you think that the government who's supposed to protect your rights is infringing its will onto you and more people wake up. And so we work on it line upon line and it works. Okay. And I know we didn't get to talk about all the laws, all the different bills. Um, but I think this one is so on the minds of Utahns. What did the legislature do to get our kids 
out of wearing masks? Did they do anything? Because this this is one of my biggest frustrations of the entire session because I really wanted I wanted to have our children, even if the adults aren't our children, to be set free. They did not do one single thing to set our children free. So, and HB 294, it does on April 10th, it lets us out of mask prison for the adults, but it leaves our children. And even at school, they still have to keep masking, even though, even though I can't find evidence of one child in the state of Utah that has died from COVID. Even though the CDC came out three weeks ago and said that asymptomatic people are not contagious. So if children are asymptomatic, there's really no reason for them. We know that 208 children across the entire nation have had comorbidity and died with COVID. 208 across our whole nation. 2,000 died from cancer. 2,000 died from auto accidents every year. And we're still in cars, but um, only 208. So there, there's no scientific or moral reason to have our children in masks. So that is something that I think we really, that's a crusade that I'm taking up. We really need to fight that. And we got no help from our legislature this year. There were why, attempts. Why would, they, why would they say the adults can have the, did, what the, the virus magically goes away on April 10th and it's safe to take our masks off on April 10th. Do you think they just wanted to be the good guys on that? Like I think Governor Abbott in Texas does. And, and how do you explain why they would tell all the adults in the state no more mandates as of April 10th? Plus you could, they could go back to it, right? Like, cause here, listen, here's my problem is that I think this whole thing and people could call me a conspiracy theorist. I really don't care. You wouldn't be the first one. You have to get in line for that. <laughs> But um, I think this whole thing was to condition us and set up laws and set up the infrastructure and the plastic barriers and all the garbage so that when they bring us a much more lethal virus, um, they have an easier time because it's all set up. I mean, just because uh, mandates are lifted on April 10th, I mean, in Texas, I have people who follow me showing me that the businesses are carrying on with it anyway. They're literally posting uh, signs yes. in their window saying we're, yeah. we're still going to do it because somehow it's become the default position to be the most restrictive. Yes. Because, oh, you know what? You're not loving and compassionate and there's still so much fear with people that businesses. So even, and the only thing that, that ends on April 10th is the mask mandate. All the other mandates still are in place until July 1st, unless some act of God happens in I mean, three different metrics line up. It's almost impossible. So the only thing that ends on, on April 10th is the mask, but it is, it, it's just crazy what we are doing. And definitely it is, this isn't a social experiment and this is absolutely designed to get us to learn to, to go along and to be loving and patient and wear a mask. And I, yeah, I think even when we're out on April 10th, we are still going to see so many people wearing masks and a lot of businesses will require it. But you need to know that the law does allow for anyone, even a business cannot force you to wear a mask if you have a health condition. And if breathing oxygen isn't a health condition, I don't know what is. What do you have to do to prove your medical exemption? Because my husband says that everywhere we go and I actually don't like it. I'm like, you know, they, we shouldn't have to say that. Just don't wear the mask. But anyway. We shouldn't but have to say it. But if you want to go in a store, see, here's the problem is to store. You have a business. I have a business. 
We don't want the government inserting themselves into our business as much as they already do. So if you go into a private business and they say, well, we're a private business. And if you want to come in this business, you have to wear a mask. And that is our, that is not a government regulation. That is our private business regulation. And so that I respect that, that when you have a public accommodation, we already have laws that say you can't discriminate against someone because of their age, because of their sex or because of their, um, their race. And there's some other things as well. And they can't discriminate, discriminate against people because of a medical condition. Yeah. So our law allows a medical condition to be to you exempt from a mask wearing because of a medical condition. I don't like to either. I like to say I it's against my faith. It's against my religion. Um, but the, the law doesn't actually. Well, the, the public discriminate, the public accommodation does allow you to opt out for religion or health conditions. So that I just think people need to know that they do have that power. And sometimes people want to give a reason. I don't ever give one unless someone accosts me. And I just say, you know, I have a religious exemption. And um, and a lot of businesses don't really care. But so I just decide I printed the law and then I can just explain to them, you know, I'm sorry, but because you are accommodating public and you you can't discriminate against me and I just show it to them. And then I don't have any problems after that. It's very rare. Most businesses are very accommodating. But I, I don't think that the mask, most people masking is going to go away with the law. It's it's already into our society now. Yeah, well, if anybody doesn't believe that what Delane is saying is true, you can just come on out here to Florida. And you can see that uh, the vast majority are wearing masks and they don't have to. And most of them don't even know that they don't have to because they don't care because they're happy to do it. So the conditioning is complete. And there are certainly those of us who won't wear the masks or and a bigger number who will look around the room and see that nobody's wearing it and then they won't, they'll kind of do whatever, whatever that room full of people is doing for sure. But very good. Um, okay. For, for both of you to wrap up, I know we didn't cover every bill by any means, but what should we be doing now that the session is over? We don't, we don't want to just kick back and be like, well, that stunk, but we'll just come back at it next January. What, what, what should we be doing? Both of you. Well, I would suggest joining a group, an organization, because it really feels very lonely when you're trying to do it all by yourself and there's not a lot of power. But I love your Thursday night meetings. And like you said, and I say, it's not so much when you meet, it's that you do meet. And it's really important to connect with other people because you need to know who like what like-minded people you are. And my advice on that, too, is, you know, something that liberal people do is it doesn't matter what offense what they do, they will rally around them. You can set, be a sex molester. You can be a perpetrator. They will rally the troops and protect them. And one thing that a lot of conservative or more Republicans tend to do is that if you're not perfect, if you're not, don't align with me exactly, then we kind of create and, you know, we, we can't be friends. And I think that when you get together with people, you're not, it's okay if you don't agree on everything. But you can still come together and respect and, and create a relationship and, and extend that out and bring people in that you might not agree 100 percent. But if you agree on liberty, agree on most principles, if you agree 90 percent of the time, develop those relationships because they're very powerful. And um, and I think joining an organization is a really good idea. If you find an organization that you that you agree with, that can be really helpful. And then they do a lot of research. You don't have to do everything by yourself. 
So I'm a part of United Women's Forum. I'm a vice vice chair of United Women's Forum. And um, so we do a lot of heavy lifting. We do a lot of the work. And then you join. Then we educate you. We tell you. And then we can say, okay, now's a good time to do this. Join us here. Join that. Get educated. Bring your friends. So I think joining an organization and definitely the, the Thursday night meetings, I'm just asking everyone to jump into that because that is how we take our state back. That's how we take our country back. Getting involved in those, that replaces with real freedom the caucus that got holes shut all over. I, I love the Thursday night meetings. Yeah, and we're um, tomorrow, I'm pretty sure that we're launching on the Take Action for Freedom site. We are launching a portal of the site or a, a node of the site. I don't know what you call it. I'm not a technical person, but basically, because my team's been working on it for over a month now, where you can post your meeting. And when we have a bunch of people posting their meetings, then I will send out to 12,000 people, hey, go check it out. Because if you've not wanted to host one, but you want to attend one, go jump in on this one. And then those those meetings need to make babies. You know, like I know last night there were 50 people at the Summit County meeting. And I think they're having a hard time uh, making babies and like splintering off. And because 10, Pam Popper says that eight or 10 is the right size of group because then you actually get to know the people and you're motivated to grow. Like people aren't as motivated to grow when you know, Renee keeps hosting in Park City and 50 people show up and everybody brings a dish. It's just, it's such a big old party. It's fun, but that's, it's kind of, um, it needs to. Intimidating. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like you're going to a big party, but a lot of people would rather go to a small dinner party with eight people than a big party with 50. So we need to have the smaller groups that are growing and making babies. Cause my goal is that by the end of this year, we have 200 really strong groups meeting all over the state. And if we just keep chipping away at it, and if you're hearing this, you just invite the people you know who are like-minded, invite them over for tea or have everybody just bring a dish. Um, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be hard. And you don't have to sponsor every week. Sponsor the first one and then say, okay, who's, who's going to go next? Who's going to sponsor the next one? I mean, Park City is the most liberal place in Utah, hands down. And they have the most uh, successful group. And that's because they started early. Uh, Ryan Sternagel, who runs that group, is one of my closest friends and mine and John's. And he heard the, me do the Pam Popper thing right off. He got it and he started it. And I mean, most people would be surprised that there are 50 uh, people willing to stand up to this garbage in the yeah, whole of Park awesome. City. But, it, but it's not. There's, 50 isn't all there is. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. We just haven't found them yet. So we have to grow. So um, so Delane, your group that you said is United Women's, is that, what is it? Forum. United Women's Forum. And it's just for Utah women? It is. I mean, okay. anybody can join, but it's, it's also for men. We actually have quite a few men because we love men. We're not, um, anti-men <laughs> at all, but we, we just, it's, it was, it was organized by two women who just felt like they needed to reach out to their community and their neighborhood and give women an education and give them a voice. And they're both amazing women. And so where we, it's a great organization. You, where do people find United Women's Forum if that appeals to them? Yeah. Only on Facebook, United Women's on Facebook, United Women's Forum on Facebook. And then we do have, um, like a blog. We don't have a website anymore because everyone went to Facebook. So you guys need to get set up somewhere else. We're all in danger on Facebook. We do. I guess you We've know that. We've got to get off Facebook and we know that. We I couldn't agree with you more. Yep. And I love, I'm a member and I love 
Your Health Freedom, phenomenal organization. And I just really want to give a shout out to Kristen. I just adore her. She is an amazing woman and she has worked so hard and she has been so much fun to work with this year. So she is incredible. She's done so hard. Goes both ways, Delane. So if I were just going to say a couple of things, build relationships with your legislators and also with your neighbors and your friends and do do the Pam Popper thing, get to know people in real life, not just on social media, because you don't know, well, first of all, it's better to get to know people in real life. And second, you don't know when that's going to be shut off. The social media is going to be shut off. So you need to be building those relationships Make sure you understand the issues, start understanding the process. And if you need, if you feel like you need to learn more, um, get involved with one of these groups that can help you. The United Women's Forum, um, Take Action for Freedom, um, and Your Health Freedom, which is my group, which is a Utah group, but we are connected nationally. And we actually had a meeting last night to talk about how we can better help each other on a national level in our individual states, but it's Your Health Freedom to Utah group. So yourhealthfreedom.org and just learn everything you can. In between the sessions is a great time to learn and ramp up for the next session. I love it. And the very, very most important question I've asked all evening is where can I buy a tank top of what you're wearing that says health is cultivated, not injected? There is one. I can send you a link. It's, okay. it's actually, I, I normally don't want to promote Amazon, but that's where these shirts are right now. So yeah, we'll it's going to be that. a process for us to wean ourselves off of Amazon. We're going to have to go backwards now that we realize that we right under our own noses, they created a bunch of monopolies where it's really hard to live now without uh, Amazon and Costco. And I think yeah. now we're realizing why that's so dangerous. Is Yes, I've been able world. to do it. And I'm just here to tell you, it actually is quite doable because almost everything that's available on Amazon is available somewhere else too. That's right. right. Actual I mean, manufacturer, another company. So and it's great to give business to other companies. I love it. Yeah. Every time that you go into a small business, like when I, you know, cause I work 70 hours a week and my husband quit his job to come here to Florida. And so I say, you're doing all the shopping. And I always say, look for somewhere in Flagler beach, look for whatever I'm sending them off to buy. I say, look for a place in, and, and I always cared about that because I'm a small business owner. Um, but now I'm, I am committed to it. Now I am like, actually I'm willing to go out of my way it's a thing. And I hope that everybody else will um, take that to heart too and support the small businesses because they are just coming after us with all their, I mean, I could sit here and list off for you uh, 20 challenges that I have as a small business that I didn't have a year ago. And I'm not even a storefront. So um, so these are all right. such great thoughts. I, I love everything that both of you are doing. Thank you so much for what you give to Utah and Utahns. You make the, the state a better place. Guys, go follow Delane England and Kristen Chevrier online. And ladies, thank you so very much. Thank, thank you, Robin. Robin. Thanks for all you do. Thank you. <laughs>